Hello and welcome. My guest today is Zach Tellender. Zach is a creator who has been making videos on YouTube for over five years. And in this conversation, we spoke about how social media has messed up his values, making better friends, Zach's current internal battle, the work ethic regrets he holds from college, and how he has become more comfortable with himself. This was a really fun conversation because when you watch Zach's videos on YouTube, you might see one side of him, but in this conversation, you'll get a completely different look. So if you enjoyed this episode or any parts of this episode, be sure to share it with somebody you think will enjoy it as well. Whether that's through text message, Twitter, Instagram stories, it all goes a long way in helping the show grow. And now let's get into the episode with Zach Tellender. Zach, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Why did you take six semesters of telecom at high school? Wow. You did your research. God damn. Uh, I was obsessed, man, when I learned how to edit. Editing was so fun for me. I loved it. And um, that's that's basically it. Like, I remember itching to take it. So freshman year, we weren't allowed to take it. It had to be sophomore year. And I think there was a wait list to get in. And like, I, I like woke up early in the morning, signed up for it. And, um, Lake Forest high school where I went to high school had like very state of the art stuff. Um, HD cameras, camcorders had just come out at that time. Um, and we had digital editing. So we had, I think we had Adobe. Yeah. We had Adobe premiere the whole time. And so that's where like at the age of 15, that's where I started editing videos. And, um, it was just amazing. And I think looking back at it, um, the biggest help from editing was when I went on to do YouTube, I, my buddy had a serial number code where I could rip Adobe Premiere Pro off of Pirate Bay. So I, I ripped it off with the serial code. It was amazingly like smart on my part. I'm not that tech savvy, but I was able to do it. Um, and I started making YouTube videos and the coolest thing was like, oh my God, I remember doing this. You know, I remember doing that. I remember doing this. Um, and what's, what also is crazy now that I'm thinking about it, I went to college for film and television studies and their telecommunications or kind of like new media was nowhere near as robust as Lake Forest high schools. Nowhere, not even close. As far as equipment goes, as far as uh, staff and being able to teach the kids or, you know, adults at this point in college. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of a shitty thing but whatever um secondly so it's the editing and, and knowing how to edit my own youtube videos that gave me a huge leg up S secondly i think most importantly was storytelling um our teacher worked at espn and he um his whole thing was about the story so like if we're if he's going to do a segment for espn on a player how can we have a beginning, middle, and end, and how can we package it in as little as time as possible? And so I remember coming back to him with these projects, super robust, like really cool shots and everything. He goes, take that out, take that out, take that out. Shorter, 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 less, less, less. Move the story, move the story. We're boring, you're boring. Over and over and over again, he would drill it in my fucking head. And um, then going on to college, I learned more about story and... Um, 
directors like auteurs and you know like the french new wave we we studied a lot of that stuff and basically every single shot and every single line has to drive the plot in some way and if it doesn't you're wasting people's time like if you can't explain why something exists it's not worth being in the story so i had that advantage going into youtube immediately so my first video was four minutes long you know and then for about 100 mid videos straight they were under five minutes and people were like this is so cool YouTube changed their algorithm to be based on rewarding uh, view time. So videos got longer and longer, which honestly in the end is actually a good thing because now we have shorts on every other platform. If people want long form, if like, if you get rewarded for long form, that's great to have YouTube because I want to get rewarded in short form on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Long form youtube so you know all in all why i why i did six semesters is because i just remember being like i want to make videos and what i gained from that was the ability to edit and um more importantly the absolute you know visceral need to tell stories that's it what about editing and storytelling was so core to your being? I don't know that it was important to me, um, but then it became important to me because everything, every bit of information needs a storyline because in order to relate to someone else, they need to be able to relate to their story. They need to be able to relate what's happening there to what's happening to them. So my uh, first video on YouTube and a lot of the videos henceforth um, they always talked about my experience with this issue and then also my experience with other people who have this issue. So something as basic as like squatting, squatting in the gym. Here's the issue that I've faced as an, as somebody who's a squatter. Here's an issue that someone else has faced that I have helped teach as a coach. Here's how you can fix it. And then the person who's watching now has a storyline to follow. Um, not just me telling you how to do it. I'm kind of relating to a potential issue that you might have. And so everything, no matter what, it's it doesn't necessarily need a story, but it helps, it juices it up. It makes it so people can relate to it and connect with it just a little bit better. When you were first getting into YouTube, you thought you were going to just tell stories like Casey Neistat did. Yes. And then you quickly realized, I don't know how quickly it actually was, that it might be helpful to have actual plots or actual ways to help people as opposed to just look at my life. Yeah. Um, the, the just look at my life thing is lazy um, because there's no, in, like you have to garner interest before you, you demand interest you know? Um, and that's where like Gary V was commonly saying document. What, what was his saying? Document don't create. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I, I knew that was bullshit. I knew it was bullshit because I don't care about someone's life. If they're just documenting it, I have to know why I care. Now there's a chance that that person who's documenting could garner my interest somehow, but, um, this, this Reddit comment, which I know now, you know, of, um, cause you did your research, which is amazing. 
uh, this guy was basically like, you know, why are we interested in you? And he said it in more reddity terms, pretty mean, pretty rude stuff. But also at the same time, it was like, you know, there is really no reason for you to care about me. Um, I can present that to you in the form of some level of proficiency in coaching um, these particular movements. And um, there was a point and, and that worked, worked really well. And I, I did that for seven years straight. And there was a point about a year ago where I was like, you know, guys, I want to, I'm a human being. I want to display my humanity to you guys as well. I'm not just a professional in this thing. And so I want to be able to explain my experiences and try new things and reach out to different people and expand a little bit. Um, and it's been good sometimes and it's been bad sometimes, but I think it's really therapeutic for me to be able to do something like that, you know, cause I, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's going to be hard for me to continually put my body on the line for content. I'm 32. Like, will I be doing this when I'm 40? What am I, you know, how, how is the future kind of look for me? Um, and so I, I want the freedom to be able to go off in other avenues and hopefully people will care, you know, but if they don't, then that's fine. You know, people change. Um, I want to change. Like I have this, I always want to change. Um, but that the issue with always wanting to change is like, you don't know if you're proficient enough or if you've optimized enough for that one thing. Cause like I see people who are incredible at what they do and it's all they do. And it's all they've ever done. And they're the best. It's like, well, I'm doing this thing. I'm pretty damn good at it. And people like that. But if I switch and go on to another thing, people are going to be like, yeah, he was okay. But he always just moves around and does different things. He's not really becoming very exceptional at things. So that's kind of like this little inner battle that I face, you know. How do you solve that battle? And how do you come to a, a conclusion of where to go? I don't, I don't know. I'm working on that, man. It was like the most, um, the, like the hardest thing for me was this like transformation I went through when I was like 23 and maybe it started earlier. I was like an incredible athlete growing up, like insane. And I went to college for lacrosse and I got there and I had zero work ethic. I had, and it wasn't like... I, I just didn't understand it. I wasn't even, it's like, you don't have this thing. It's like, I don't even know that that thing exists, whatever that thing is. Like it, if you told me to do something, it's not that I was deliberately not doing it. I just don't understand it. Like, I don't understand what it means to work hard. I don't understand, you know? So, um, that was a, a, a shitty moment for me was just like not being the best at something and, and, or whatever it was. And then college was the first time you weren't the best at something. Yeah. In and, terms of sports. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it sounds fucking like, it's like hard to say that that's a, a tough thing to go through, but it was like, okay, from that point on, I was shitty at a lot of things. I opened my eyes. I'm like, wow, you, your shit does stink like really fucking bad. I remember graduating and then applying to like 50 different jobs and getting zero of them. I remember going through some really, really hard hard times and ever since that day it's like part of me wants to just it's like i want to prove everyone wrong about how good i can be at this one thing whatever that thing is 
And what always happens to me is like, oh, there's this other thing I want to do. And I want to do that. And I start doing that. And then people start calling me not as good at the one thing that I was doing before. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So like, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and prove them wrong. You know, it's like, that's ultimately like a massive flaw for me. And it's just something that I'm continually working on. And I think it's actually getting better. Um, the, and, and probably the number one reason why it's getting better is like my, my real life is getting better. Like my actual interpersonal re, uh, relationships are getting way better. The way that I uh, interact with my physical environment is getting way, way, way better. It's improving like almost every day. And that helps me really know what I can actually value. Because man, when you're, when you know this, when you become a creator, it's like your value system gets fucked, totally fucked. And like, you, you, you need a reality check for sure. In what way? Because I don't feel as if my value system has well, fucked. I, I feel this and correct me where I'm wrong. I feel like you are living under the, with the expectations of other people exactly. greater than your own. Uh-huh. And that's what happens when you start doing something that you want to do. And then people tell you that you're not as good at that thing anymore. And then you're like, oh, I want to go back to doing that thing because you're valuing other people greater than your own. Yes. But how do you flip it. You, how I flip it is I, I think this is the solution. Honestly, is like making your real world interactions count. And it's a very hard thing to do actually to actually do that. Um, and I think the number one way you can do that is actually give a shit about other people and what they're doing for absolutely zero benefit of your own. Like, like, like what's an example of you doing that? And was that a going to watch thing? someone play music? Like I have friends in the music industry now and like just going to watch them. That's it. I just want to watch you. I want to watch you have a good time. I want to watch you improve. I want to watch you perform. It's not about me. It's like about you, you, you. And seeing their eyes light up from that and look at you as something more than just some sort of exchange is such a good feeling. And that is honest to God, that's, that would be my solution. You know, I'm still kind of beta testing that, you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, I think I really think that that's it. The, um, it's tough though. It's like, if you're online, like your values, it, it the, the core tenet of social media is to value other people other than, you know, more so than yourself. That is literally, that is what Meta wants to give to you is like, how valuable are you? Well, we have the likes, we have shares, we have this, we have all these metrics and we're going to put them at you all the time. And that's how you determine value. So the only answer is to like, kind of stop valuing that and start valuing reality. It's just tough because, you know, Whenever you get bored, you pull up your phone. I mean, this, these are all classic things that everyone's talking about all the time, but I think th it's never going to go away. I'm sorry. Like if you're a content creator, you have to care about views. You have to, if you're in business, you have to care about how your last quarter was. You have to, like you hadn't make improvements. So that is your value system. You do value other people's opinions of you because that's your money. That's, you know, at the end of the day, that is your worth. And so like, dude, that, that shit can consume anyone and it will, it's always going to exist. But the people who can kind of like punch back with like, like I said, interpersonal re relationships, like those are the people that are going to be able to be okay for sure. If you start 
if this starts to melt down, then you have this wall of just like caring what other people think. When was the first time you started to notice yourself consciously start caring about other people more and valuing them as opposed to just caring about yourself? Yeah. Um, I can, I don't know the, I don't know the exact point, but I remember when it was not that, um, so like currently in Instagram, there's a difference in the way that I think about Instagram than I used to. So I used to build up my YouTube channel and I had an Instagram. That was it. So it's kind of like, Oh, there you go. Like if you guys want to hang out and see what I do, that's cool. Um, this is a joke. This is, this is like not it for me. Right. And I start to do these Instagram reels over the past, I'd say like year and they start doing really well, like really, really well. Like some of them have a million views and, you know, 500,000 views and all these crazy numbers. And, um, I start to, I start to care about that, you know? And, uh, like one of the, one of the big things that I noticed was people were going up to me in person being like, man, I love your stuff. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like, like, yeah, on Instagram, I love your stuff. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I've been doing YouTube for a decade. YouTube, like, you knew I was on YouTube, right? They're like, you have a YouTube channel? I'm like, what? This is weird now. This is crazy to me because my whole thing was like, this is where my mo- this is where I am, you know? And now you're seeing me on Instagram, this place that I took as a joke. Maybe I should take it seriously. So I started to take that seriously. Now my value system is, you know, based off of how other people are. And so that's a nice little flip-flop right there, um, you know, from platform to platform. Uh, and I think, I think honestly, like moments like that, that, that would be a distinct switch for sure. But then the people in person, it seems like that is a key piece to that. Like, Mm -hmm. like valuing other people in person as like an important way to fight against that. Yes, for sure. And so is that what you're attempting to do now? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've made a bunch of new friends, um, especially in the music industry and, and comedy here. And the cool thing is they all have things that they're doing. Um, and they're, they're in the arts. So they're much more like, they're much more open to you propping them up, maybe selfishly on their behalf, but like uh, people in the music industry, people in comedy and performance arts, like they want you to talk to them about their craft, like so fucking desperately. And so if you are willing to do that, they're willing to open up to you and become your friend. And, um, it's, it's like incredibly rewarding for both people. It's like this little utilitarian exchange. Um, maybe it's not the most sound and virtuous way of exchanging things, but, I have found a lot of help for me in just sitting back and letting other people perform and watching them and being excited for them. Like that has been a distinct change. And that's literally for probably like the past three months I've experienced that. And I too, like that I've gotten back into music and started to make, make more music. And I went to the studio two weeks ago and recorded some stuff. And that's where I kind of like see a future potential endeavor for sure. Our mutual friend, Sky King, mm-hmm. said that you were a phenomenal songwriter, something most people don't know about you. What is your creative process like and how did you get into songwriting or 
making music in general? So I think, um, for me, music is like the most important art there is. I mean, everything else is secondary, tertiary. Like it's not even close. Like fitness, like a, fitness is important is because it's your physical body. So like, and, and fitness can be like literally like how you sit and, and things like that. So that's why I love it. I love that the, the biggest show ever the Joe Rogan experience will bring up fitness every single episode with people who aren't in the fitness industry. So that's why I love it. I love that it's in everyone's mouth. It's in everyone's, it's the, the way that you interact with the world has to do with your fitness. So I love that. But music for me, it just is, it transcends all of that. And it always has always. Um, I started playing drums when I was nine. I've been in bands like my whole life. I played in my dad's band. Um, I've been playing music with my dad since I can remember and singing whatever. And I was in talent shows and all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just so important to me, like so ridiculously important to me. And so when I write songs, um, I think my process, cause I kind of, I taught myself guitar and it's just much more easy to pick up an acoustic guitar and write and have this thing that makes sounds so that you can create a melody and, uh, you know, chord structures and things like that. It's hard to do that beyond a drum set. Like I'm definitely a solid drummer. Like I can drum for most bands easy. Um, I would have to practice again and get my chops up, but you know, guitar, something that I picked up simply so that I could write songs and just like explode it out, you know? And, uh, my process for writing music is find a, it's usually like find a chord progression that you like. And that usually just has to hit my brain right. It has to be something that I'm interested in. And then I try to find a melody. And I have this way of finding a melody. And I just start, um, I think of a line or I think of like what words would sound in, in that melody. Like not even what they would mean. Like what would they sound like? Uh, so I was writing this one song. I was just playing. And I go, sitting outside the same damn home. Okay, what? Sitting outside the same damn home. Like what could I write about that? What does that mean? And then I just went and wrote a poem kind of thing around that one line that went to that one melody that was kind of didn't mean anything. And then I created something out of that. And that's usually how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, that's not what anyone's going to know me for is writing music until it's good enough and enough people care and then they're like what did like i like your music too you know so it's like something i i don't really like talking about until i do it understand you know what i mean it's like part of me i hate there there's um i for you might know who who said this but it was like it's almost like when you say you want something in your brain you just kind of checked off the box and so therefore you stop working on that thing have you heard about like it's almost like uh, positive self talk actually doesn't always work or, or like saying that you want a goal sometimes doesn't always work because there it's like you've kind of fulfilled something in your brain a little bit by saying it, by uttering it into existence. Like it's already been done. Like, you know, I like to present the work and say, okay, do you guys like this or not? Because it's so important to you, mm -hmm. do you feel, why did you choose fitness over it when you value music higher in your brain? I didn't, I didn't really choose fitness. It was just, um, 
it seemed like like okay so music trying to get into music like when i could have is a hard hard thing to do you have to find players you have to find a way to distribute you have to find a way to record it's like you have to find this whole community and this huge thing in order to promote yourself or or proliferate whereas fitness it was like i've got this camera i've got these thoughts let me just do that and and to be honest with you i fucking loved it right like it was fun to me that there's this aspect of like i get this ability to change like this my my physical structures like people in games are obsessed with skins they're obsessed with buffs and all these different things when you can do that in real life is fucking crazy like how why is no one else doing this why is like why do you hate going to the gym like you can make your biceps bigger you can like literally push more things away from you and pull things more to you like you you become a super version of yourself and i was like obsessed with that as i think everyone should be in some way um so yeah i was like god like this is what i want to do you know like i can do this i can do this um but music is like this thing is just always hanging over my head it's like right here i'm like fuck i you know i got to acknowledge this thing i got to give it something and so that yeah like uh i'm 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 back into it you know full full go full go but like people wouldn't know because the way that i present myself online is just purely fitness based and that's fine i got to hit the people where they like it and that's fine i have this theory that people will do something for around 10 years and then they'll go into something slightly different and people will start to know them for that thing. If you look at Joe Rogan, for example, it's like he did comedy for 10 years mm -hmm. and then he does Fear Factor and everyone knows him as the Fear Factor guy and does TV stuff for 10 years. And then it's like, oh, podcasting is kind of similar to TV and then it all builds on each other. So Childish Gambino or Derek Glover, right? Derek Glover or Donald, Donald Glover. He uh, started this comedy he was in this comedy troupe called Derek comedy do you know about this no. okay so it's on youtube and i mean this was 2006 youtube wow yeah it's and these, some of these skits are fucking hilarious and uh then he gets picked up by community and he gets picked up right it's community i think that's yeah. the show that he was on yeah and then you know he's acting in a bunch of things and the entire time i'm sure he was obsessed with music like the, the whole time, just because he did this one thing doesn't mean music doesn't exist. And so he releases some really cool, cool songs. One of them was like uh, Campfire, I think, or something like that. That was the first one that I ever heard from him that like really was a banger. And now he's known as Childish Gambino and he can, you know, he can uh, headline festivals now. But it's always been there. It's not like, hey, I want to try something new. It's like it's always been there. Joe Rogan's ability to talk to people and be he's always been the guy at the end of the day who can get in and talk with people like he's always been that guy so it's not like he's like let me stop doing the one thing i'm good at and just fucking switch over completely and i think you know from the way that people present themselves online nobody would know that nobody would consider that they'd be like stay in your lane asshole you know we, we care about you for fitness not like you know the stuff that you've done i have released some of my music on my youtube and it's on spotify as well and like the people on youtube like it doesn't get as many views but like people are like wow this is cool this is like pretty good we didn't know you had this in you you know so it's it's weird it's it's weird balancing your life around an algorithmic world it's very weird 
algorithms are very awesome, but they're also very frustrating because there are things that are adjacent that I want to present people that like, I know they would love, like they would love it. Like but, what? but so I did, um, this like lifting kind of show with, uh, this comedian here in Austin, uncle laser. And he's now a good friend of mine. We hang out all the time and it just didn't get that many views, but I know that the fitness industry would love it. Like they'd be obsessed with it, you know, but because it didn't have someone like prolific in the fitness industry, it didn't do that well on Instagram where it was packaged in a 60 second clip and it was posted on uncle lasers. And then it was posted on mine. His video has 7 million views. Wow. It's a clip from our show, the full show. My video has 550,000 views. So none of those people would want to watch the full, full length episode. Like, no, that's just not, not the case at all. They would love it. They would love the whole thing. doesn't matter if you don't like fitness, you watch this guy goofing off saying shit. Like, and so that's where I'm like, man, I've got some good shit, like seriously good shit. I know it's good shit, but the algorithm will not boost it because it's not in this finite little line that I have to stay in. You know what I mean? How does that feel? It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. But again, this is what we talked about before. It's like your value system, you're valuing views. So at the end of the day, I'm doing something I love and I'm doing it well and I'm, and I'm meeting new people. Like uh, Uncle Laser is like my friend now. Like, I don't care if that thing got 500 views or 500,000 views. Now I have a friend like that I'm going to have for a long, long time, maybe forever. You know, it's like, that's pretty valuable to me. So what I got out of that is definitely an interpersonal thing that could fight back against that value system that we talked about before. Yeah, absolutely. What did you learn from your dad, who was a sports writer in terms of telling stories and in terms of communicating? Because if you look at what you're doing with YouTube, it's very similar to someone being a sports writer or being a journalist. Yeah, so my dad was... He, he's still, he's like semi-retired, but he's old now. And, um, he was a sports writer in Chicago in the most prolific, you know, covering the most prolific sports team in like the history of sports, which were the nineties bulls. And then there were other things. I mean, he's, you know, he's the head writer of the sun times and he was going to go to the tribune. He was going to be full-time at sports illustrated. And the sun times were like, no, we want you to be our premier writer. We're going to pay you this amount. And he went there and you know, the nineties were good to us because of that. And he was a stud, man. Like we would go around in public and like, he'd get stopped all the time. Wow. Um, and so like, you know, he was a, he was a figurehead in the, the last dance. He was in that by the way. Wow. Um, he, he, he was one of the interviewees, um, in the last dance. And there's a part where they get on the charter plane to go to some playoff game and they all grab the paper. You know, they all, all of the athletes do. That's the entertainment. It's like sports section. Holy shit. This is the sports session. That's my dad right there on the front, you know? So that was like, you know, he has to be a very good writer and he is a very, very, very good writer. He went to Northwestern journalism school and, um, he played football as well. And, you know, I think the, the one thing that I picked up from my dad the most is like, um, you have to care about what you're about to write about. Um, you can fake it. You can kind of like be like, oh, I guess I could write about this thing. But um, a great example of this is he, uh, we were watching March Madness one year. It was probably like 
you know, early 2000s. And, he, and we're talking about Cornell because um, they were in the, they were in uh, like the Sweet 16 or something, which is crazy for an Ivy League team, not ranked that high, but they had five seniors all starting. And so his whole thing was like, you know, this is a team that's played together for four years. Like it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. These guys mesh so well. And in the modern era of basketball, everyone's one and done. And before that rule came in, some guys didn't even go um, play college ball. A lot of them just went straight from high school. And so he would talk about this with me all the time. Well, I went to school the next day and they actually had the paper at school, which is kind of cool. And I just looked at it and it's like exactly what he talked about. It's like, I've already read this, you know? And so I think the number one thing is like, just care and walk through the points that you have uh, about that thing, whatever it is. And you can tell that story. Hmm. That's fascinating. And then going to, you mentioned before your college career, and I heard on a previous podcast, you talk about how you wished you worked harder. And you kind of spoke about it a little bit here that you didn't know the value of hard work or you were accepting other people you you weren't accepting responsibility for becoming better why why is that the case and what would you have done differently if you were in college today i learned by when i started doing weightlifting i learned how to hack like hard work um because there is no other way to be successful in Olympic weightlifting than working hard on your own, in your own head. You are the one for everything. And while that may seem narcissistic and it somewhat is, um, compared to like being in a team setting, it opened, it, it was such a relief. I physically cannot blame anyone else for my shortcomings. And that alone was enough for me to be like, okay, well, how can I, next time I'm in a team environment, how can I game that system to make it so that I am the only one to blame? I think when I was in college, I felt like the world was mutable and I was immutable. And then when I got out of college, I flipped that and I garnered a lot more success. And I think that you have to find a way, like I said, to hack into creating that. So if I'm on my lacrosse team, well, I didn't get the ball that much. Um, my coach didn't play me that much. This, this, you know, our goalie didn't do well, whatever. Um, those are all things that I can point off into reasons why I'm not successful and why I'm not doing the things that I'm doing. But how can I create a system wherein I uh, get better? Like, and, and I'm literally mean like quantifiably better. So let's say, uh, one would be the gym. Am I getting stronger? Another would be, uh, your stick skills, your ability to, you know, shoot past whatever, um, try to your nutrition. God, I could have been like, let's just see what happens if I go 30 days, not eating like a piece of shit. Just don't tell anyone, just do it on your own. Those are the things that I used to do in weightlifting though. I was like, well, what I love to do is like, you know, train fucking hard. And then on the weekends, just go out and get hammered with my buddies and like do whatever, just go crazy. And like I, one time I was like, what would happen if you just didn't do that? Like, just try it. And because like, well, well now I can work out on Saturdays, not be hungover. Um, Sundays feel great. 
I can relax and I feel good. I go into Monday and I kick Monday's ass. It's like, wow, why would I not do this? So like I accidentally was sober for six months. Like just didn't like, oh shit, I'm sober. You know, like that, that's a hack right there. That's not me being like, I can do this. I can be better. I can be sober. It's like, no, like that. So that was just how my mind always worked. And maybe that's flawed. Like, cause when I, I, I made a video about this exact thing is like Jocko Willink talking about discipline um, versus motivation. And um, he doesn't like motivation at all. It doesn't matter whether you're motivated or not. You do the thing. And for me, it's like, well, what if I can hack myself into being motivated at every time? What if I'm 100% and making myself motivated? I still show up to every single training. I still do everything I need to do. But my reward system is now flipped so that I reward myself. Like, are, do we have to be entirely altruistic in the things that we do? Does it have to be for naught? Like, does it literally all have to be for gritting your teeth and punishing yourself? Because people really are like, there needs to be a reward system. Like if you're a realist, like you don't just go to the gym. There has to be something at at the back of your mind. Someone could be like, "Uh, you know, I don't care if I get stronger. I go to the gym to make myself feel better. Oh, there's your reward, right? You're like, you're disciplined. Like, I really don't want to go to the gym. I make myself go to the gym and then I feel so much better. Oh, there you go. There's your reward. So I guess maybe I'm, I'm getting a little pedantic with it. But for me, it's like, if I went back to college and I had this kind of system in place, I think things would have been different for me. I really do. Do you think that the modern culture of, of self-improvement has messed up somewhere in that it almost seems like it has to be difficult and you have to hate it in order to progress. I mean, the optimal bro lifestyle and and self-improvement it can be it can be damaging if not looked into deeply and thought of with a lot of nuance and that can be catalyzed by how social media is presented today. So um you know, optimal bros and I, I say that, and it seems you know derogatory. It's actually really beneficial. Like, I, uh, you know, Huberman, all he does is disclaim the things that he says, like all day, every day. Like the, his whole podcast is like, well, you know, these are the important things because that's just how it is. Like sleep, nutrition, and health, like just general, those are important. But like, hey, here's uh, here's contrast therapy, here's cold therapy, here's this, this, and this. Okay, now. A 60 second clip does not allow you to disclaim anything. And so when you combine that with me telling you all of the things that you need to optimize in your life, it stresses you out. It's like, this is not an approach that we should take towards anything where it's like optimize all these things. Because like when someone flips and they can't optimize that thing, there's a potential for that domino effect of all things not working. And they just kind of give up, throw their hands up and, and give up. Um, it's like the number, like the reason when people bought the Bowflex machine, it's like, wow, I can work out and then I can stow this thing away and I can work out. It's fucking awesome. Um, like, great. Do it for a couple of weeks. It just starts to collect dust and it's nothing. Where in reality, it's like if I switched my lifestyle to just be more active and like mixed in some things, like I don't need to 
optimize the way that I train. I just need to train. Like I just need to find a way in my life to train. And I think that um, the way that social media packages everything, it's kind of like, it's like eating its own tail in a way. What do you mean? Like we're, we're trying to get people to optimize these different things in their lives. But what we're not doing is, is creating this necessity for lifestyle change. You know, like, and that's, it's just such, it seems like a very corny thing. And then what everyone says is like, oh, it's, you know, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's this is, but like literally it, it means like, um, just wanting to get out and like, go do things. Like, I don't care what you bench, squat, deadlift. I don't care about any of that. Like if you want to go hike and you went and hiked and you ate like a pretty cool meal at the top, like a sandwich, that's pretty fucking healthy to me, <laughs> you know, seriously. Like the moment we're like, oh, you had a turkey sandwich with cheese on it on your five mile hike. Like the moment we, we get like upset about that, like, whoa, like this is too much. Have you ever heard of the term orthorexia? No. It's like that obsession with health to a, an extreme degree where it's actually unhealthy. Um, Aaron Alexander, he brought this up and he was like, you know, I would prefer the Italian who maybe drinks a little bit too much wine every once in a while, smokes a few cigarettes a day but is very happy, walks around, swims in the ocean, gets enough sun, generally just eats Italian fresh cuisine. I would take that person over an orthorexic person a thousand times out of a thousand. And yet that I just said, oh, they smoke cigarettes. Oh, they drink too much wine, you know, every once in a while. But that person's lifestyle is so much better than the person who is counting every little macro and like, if it's a woman, like kind of like starving yourself to the point where your hormones get so fucked up where you don't get your period, which is a, a very likely thing that happens a lot in bodybuilding, like the bodybuilding community, people that are so obsessed with their health and fitness, you know, like that's not health, you know, that's not, that's not what we're, what we're aiming for. And so, you know, that's a, that's a far cry from when someone says, Hey, you should do some cold therapy, but you can kind of understand where I'm getting at with this. Do you feel like you suffer from orthorexia? Is that why it's such a, no. Um, but do you see it often? Is that I do because I don't see it. Oh yeah. At all. Because I'm not in that circle of health and fitness, fitness, not health, but you know, the, the fitness world, I feel like promotes it a lot. Like these are the standards you need to hit for us to accept you in this group. I'm not in that world, so I don't really see I, it that often. Yeah, and I'm not really, I'm, I wouldn't say that I interact with those types of people that much anymore. But you um, did at one point. Uh, yeah, it, like it would be like this. I did this workout and I worked really hard and I was like, man, that was amazing. Oh my God, I'm dead. I'm like, oh, that's enough work for me to do for like a couple days. As when woman comes up to me, she's like, if I did only that in a day, I would have a panic attack. She's like, I, I need it to do three times that amount of work. And if you were to, you know, logically walk her down that quote unquote need, she would basically at some point say to you, yeah, I'm just not being logical about this. This is an addiction. This is, there's nothing about this that's healthy. This is my affliction, you know? And like, okay, fine. Be an addict, be, you know, a junkie for this thing. Um, but that's not the point of fitness at the core of it. And I, I have run into that a few times for sure. And 
you know, we're 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 now like farther away from what we were talking about before, but it's a very it's a very interesting thing. Where do you feel like you are currently addicted and what is the thing that you are trying to cover up for with that addiction? Um I think it's what we said before. It's the It's, it's, I don't, again, I don't know if I'm addicted to it because I really do like real life interactions. Like I really do. I love being social. Um, sometimes I don't, but I think that staring at my phone, looking at metrics. And again, when you do that, that fundamentally means that you care about what people think of you and that value system is probably not healthy. That would be my quote unquote addiction. And the way that I fight it, you know, is interpersonal relationships. I, I like, I seriously, that is always on my mind. But what is that covering up? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's covering up, um, my past. Probably. I want to prove to people that I am acceptable, exceptional at something. I've always been good at a lot of things. Like I actually take offense when people are like, man, you're so good at so many different things. No, I want to be the fucking best at one thing for once in my life. Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> seriously. And like, oh, what a stupid little affliction to have. What a stupid little thing that, that like, like what a, what a, what a privileged position to be in. But, you know, uh, people don't remember the person who's like kind of good at a lot of things like they remember the best and and maybe again this is something that i'm working on too is like being remembered who fucking cares you know uh rodney mullen just said something really cool he was like do you remember the 2008 gold medalist in you know the 800 meter uh run no you don't do you remember the name of your fifth grade teacher yes you do you know, more people will remember you for the way that you interact in person, potentially, you know, some people might be other otherwise, but in general, that's going to be the case. And that's something that I, I'm, I want to work towards. And I think as I get older, it's starting to morph into that, or at least I hope, I would hope it does. Okay. So you're the best at, well, what would you like to be the best at? Hmm. Let's let's say let's just say like Olympic weightlifting okay. uh, creator. Okay, so you are the single best Olympic weightlifting creator in the world, mm -hmm. universally recognized. Now what? That see that's where I already I know that I'm being illogical. You know what I mean? Because the best means it's done. It's done. Um, but, or, I mean, you can be a best for a moment. Okay, then what? Yes. I have no idea. I have no fucking clue. It's why it's like, it's almost like the antithesis of what I always say all of the time. No excuses, just improve. Uh, uh, low expectations, high standards. This is something that I'm telling myself, you know, be grateful for everything, expect nothing. Like, um, it, it is the antithesis of wanting to be the best, of wanting to complete the thing. Fitness, everything is never, there is no end game. There is no end goal. This is a lifetime endeavor. And 
to treat it like there is some light at the end of the tunnel and when you're there you can relax is not is not a smart thing and that's what i battle with like because some people they have goals they accomplish their goal they just move to another goal and that's fine that's cool but i guess end goal i have no idea i don't even think that's possible i really don't you know i'm not i wouldn't be like oh you're the best okay i'm done thank you you know it's i mean i don't know maybe maybe that's a possibility or something but it's a it's a weird thing to explore for sure and i like definitely consider that stuff like this all the time where in your childhood did you start the wanting to be the best i don't i see i don't even know that i i don't even know that i wanted want to be the best i don't know that that like it's it's more like for me competing and performing is fun to watch to to do something and to have and to get the acceptance of others is really nice and as selfish as that may seem i think it's very therapeutic to do to have experiences like that or just like anything something that could be mild or virtuous can turn into something pretty heavy and dark at some point where you become obsessed with the acceptance of others and i think that's really that's really it for me like i loved sports all the time because i love performing i just love it i think it's great i think it's fun and i think everyone should get that experience at some point to perform for others and to to gain some level of acceptance of others because of what they did it's a very nice thing and i think being the best it's probably not as important to me when I actually think about it as uh, just performing, just continuing to perform. I remember one of the coolest attitudes I've ever had in my life was when I started YouTube. It was, God, looking back at that person was so, that, that person was so like, just had everything. It was like... Um, and, and mind you, I feel pretty good right now. I like, I really do. Like uh, my roommate, Chris Williamson, really good friend, really great podcast. We're, we're like, man, we're going to look back on these years and be like, this was so awesome. Cause it really is. It really is. But um, the mindset that I had back, it was like, I'm already living in a bonus. Everything's a bonus. And that was so cool. It was like, I posted a video and I got 25 emails one night because YouTube, when you got a subscriber used to email you. There used to be an email for every, sub I got 25 emails, like you gained a subscriber. I was like, oh my God, you know, you got a hundred views. You got 200 views, 300 views. I hit a thousand views on a video once. I was like, whoa, this is like, this could be it. This I could do this. And um, I just would, I'd be like, this is my video. I'm going to make it exactly how I want it. And I'm going to put it out there. And if people like it, that's great. If 200 people like it. If two people like it, I'm going to continue to do it. If no one likes it, well, I should probably change something, you know, but I was stoked about exactly do, doing exactly what I wanted and sending that out. And part of me now is like considering like what has done well in the past and, you know, um, but I still think I want to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. And um, what's, what's really wild is when I want to do something, it actually takes more effort than doing what other people want. So I really want to make this video on why 
uh, Olympic weightlifting is in the state that it is, not like the actual physical state, the state. Um, why people don't really recognize it, why people don't know about it, um, and it it can evolve into something that is so deep. Like um, we're talking about, like world, like geo geopolitical movements that have affected you know our interaction with this sport and and all of these different things um and the historical you know importance of this sport and how it is in the olympics like lifting weights being in the olympics like that's something i want to do that's going to take a lot of work what other people might like is if i collaborate with someone in the fitness industry that's so easy turn on the camera lift with them talk to the camera people love that um, but the thing that I want to do, it takes a lot of work. I got to write this thing out. I have to find all of the videos that I want to use. I have to find the audio clips. I have to find, you know, the previous videos that I've done talking about this thing, the, the podcast, all these different things. And what might happen too, is like people might actually like that video more, the thing that I want to do. So sometimes it's not always like you're caught in this audience, audience retention cycle. Um, it's also like, it is hard work to create new things that other people aren't doing. They're in there for sure. They're in my head for sure. How do you access those ideas? Oh, they just, I don't, I don't, you know, I just, I don't be, I don't like go and access them. It's just like, this is a thing. I should probably do this thing. You know, it's just clear the next move. Yeah. For you to make. But it's, but like, it's hard to like sit down behind a computer screen and be like, here we go. You know? <laughs> Cause like, I don't know, it's work. You got to work for, for these things. You got to put in some, some level of effort. And, uh, it's like, it's like you getting into a cold plunge. It's really, you know, you should do it and just sitting there and you're like, I don't want to do it. It's the same thing. I want to make a video. Kind of don't want it right now. There's other things I could do that were pretty easy that are, you know, that can help me a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much how I interact with all, all of my creations and things like that. It sounds like in the beginning, you your eyes were just on your own paper, so you enjoyed it the most. Like, you were just putting out videos, you didn't have anyone to compare yourself to, you're just like, this is fun for the sake of creating it. Yes. And it's why I say so often on this podcast, the importance of keeping your eyes on your own paper because if you start comparing yourself to other podcasters or other this, it's like you lose the joy of the actual creation itself. And it's why the beginning phases of it can be so beautiful if you're really just doing it for the sake of you enjoy doing it. How did you get to that point in the beginning of your YouTube journey? Like what were the conditions? It's the exact same. It is the exact same thing that I got into in, in weightlifting. I don't care what anyone else lifts. I know that I can lift 10 pounds more probably within the next two, three, four weeks. That's amazing to me. Why would I give a fuck about anyone else? I never, that was, that was my superpower going into weightlifting was never, ever, ever having a goal ever. Not once. What do you want to hit? What weight do you want to hit? Don't care. I would just want to hit more. How about that? More weight. What's my best snatch? What's my best snatch right now? Uh, you know, 200 pounds. Okay. 201 pounds. That's my goal. Then what happens when you hit 201, 202, 200, you know, that's, that's me. That's always been me. So, uh, for YouTube. Yeah. I just want to, 
I want five subscribers tomorrow. I want to gain five subscribers. Great. Five more, five more, five more, two more, three more. I don't care. If I can see a trickle, that's it. And if you pull up my social blade, actually, it's super interesting. It's a straight fucking line. Wow. Yeah. Straight as an arrow, dude. There is no, there's no popping off, you know? What does that mean to you? Uh, a lot of channels just go, boom, you know, and like they, they're there. I'm just not that guy. I don't think I'm that interested. And I think this is just, you know, another reason where it's like, I'm not the guy that everyone, I'm not the best, you know? It's like, I'm just the, cons you know, I might be consistently kind of good. I'm that guy that is underrated. Like, why can't I just be the guy that's rated? <laughs> yeah, for once, you know? And maybe that's not just a dumb need. You're improving. As long as, this is something that I've come up with recently. As long as you exist, you'll, you'll succeed. I think there's like a law around that. I don't know. Not like, you, you know. Melander law. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, like Murphy's Law or Occam's Razor or whatever. Something like that where it's like, as long as you're around, like, you have to do well. Because, like, something's going to happen to where you won't be around. And as long as you're around, like, you'll be, you're going to do well. It's going to happen. Do you have a podcast for 10 years? Yeah. You're going to succeed. It, you have to. There's no other option. Yes. Because you'll find success in some way that is impossible to predict. Or you'll find a different arena slightly close to it that you can then take the talents that you've learned and go there. Mm -hmm. What is the thing that you, that keeps you up at night right now? Mm. I, I don't know. I would, I would say... What's the thing that's of my biggest concern probably is like making sure that the the people that I love don't misinterpret my love, that they know who I am, they trust who I am, and they care about me and and they know that I care about them. Like that, 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 that probably keeps me up at night. That right there. Why? Because that is the only currency that matters. I I'm convinced when you're on your deathbed, that is literally it. I think people on their deathbed are asking for more time with the people they love. They're not asking for more views, more money, more whatever. And so like maybe that's the most valuable thing. Maybe, I mean, probably is. So that that's seriously that has got to be what keeps me up at night for sure. So how do you get better at communicating your love for those people? That's a work in progress. You know, I think uh, I think actually, if I assess myself, uh, I've gotten way better as I've got gotten older. How so? Pretty much every single man in my life that I'm friends with, I hug. So like, what's up, dude? Hug. What's up, man? Hug. It's just, I don't know. It's just what we do. It's just what we do. We acknowledge each other's presence every time we see each other, which is huge. We smile. We thank each other. Holy shit. 
thanking is like like just just say thank you all the time. Just say thank you. It it's like the greatest thing you can do. It feels so good. Thanking people for their time, thanking people for the meal that they got you, thanking people for the drink that they got you. It's just fucking what people should do. Um that yeah. Was there a time in your life when these weren't present? Yes. And it was simply because like, oh, I don't want to be awkward. Yeah. It's like, I'm just comfortable. I don't like, well, why would I be awkward? Why is that awkward? Like it's, it's wild. Some, I, I've listened to these podcasts and these guys were like making fun of like jewelry on men. And I, and they're like saying how lame it is or whatever. I'm like, are you 16? You know, um, how un like, are you just not comfortable to do anything? And, and, um, I think that that's gotten so much easier for me. I think it's partially because of the place we're in and the people I'm around. The only real way that you can succeed is to either truly give a fuck about other people or be good at acting on it. Like, you know, be good at faking it. And I think in order to do that, like you have to have these connections that are a little bit deeper than the, just the handshake and nod type of thing. How have you become more comfortable with yourself? Oh man. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's just, it's one of those things is like, I just, I can't tell. Uh, oh, okay. I, I surround myself with people that, Like they're busy and when they see me, they're happy uh, because they've been busy <laughs> and, th and then they see me and, 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 and it's the same for me and them. It's like, and then I can being comfortable, something, a way that I can express myself being comfortable, right? Um, I can wear something kind of weird. Like I bought these cowboy boots. I've been wearing them everywhere. They're super awesome. No one has said anything. No one cares. Did and, you expect them to? Well, holy shit. If I did that back home, you know, or earlier in my life, hell yeah, for sure. But it's like, we're at, I'm at an age, maybe it's also an age thing. Like people just get more comfortable. They're just like, you know, it's like we need to respect the fact that we're in each other's presence and this is a really special thing and not take it for granted. Why would I care about what you look like or anything like that? I'm just happy you're here. And so that's definitely made me more comfortable for sure. But it, it might be an age thing. It seriously might be. I, I definitely have a, uh, a lot of respect for people who are, you know, younger than me that can express themselves like that for sure. For sure. So what if there is somebody, let's say 22, just graduating college or playing on a sports team and they want to get more comfortable expressing themselves, but the people around them, their environment, be, be around better people. It's, it's, it's a something like that. Like, do another thing holy shit that i was thinking okay so previously we talked about kind of gamifying your motivation system being able to make yourself the mutable one in this immutable world trying to gamify that one of the things that you can do and i think it's just like complimenting other people um and when you compliment someone else you begin to admire them because I could fake it. I could be like, man, I love your boots. I actually do. They're great. But I'd be like, man, I love your boots. Man, blah, 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 I love this. 
after a while, I'm actually going to admire who you are as a person and I'm going to admire you. That's where that thing, that matters, admiration. And, and that's much deeper. And like, it's okay to be friends with people that you don't admire, but like maybe audit that friendship. Yeah. How does that person make you feel when you're around them? Um, because now in my life, God, my friends are fucking juggernauts, dude. I could compliment them for an hour straight. I could literally sit them down and be like, you're fucking amazing at this. You're so good at this. You're so good at that. Like that is something that I could probably never do at the age of 18. Never. No way. No fucking way. 22. I couldn't do something like that. Maybe that's a, a way that you can now make sure that you're around people that you can be comfortable around. It's like this, uh, you know, this two way street. You have to be able to give off this energy towards that person. Therefore, now you're comfortable with how they feel about you. And then you can express yourself how you want and not be afraid. Yeah. Part of being around people you admire is becoming that person yourself. Yeah. It's uh, the um, mimetic, like, right? Mimetic, I think, a uh, thing where you're, you're essentially, you're miming the people around you. Yeah. So, so essentially, if you're around someone that admire you admire, you can become a little bit more like them. And uh, in turn, mutually, they will admire you. Comfort level is at an all-time high. Confidence level is at a high. You can, it, it's the, it's very freeing. Yeah. I feel so free when I'm around some of my friends, you know? Yes. But what I'm trying to say is that in order to get to that point, you need to raise your own standard. When I was young, right? I admired professional basketball players, but no professional basketball players wanted to be my friend because I was not at that level to, for them to look at me with admiration in some way yet. So I needed to raise my own standard for myself and to pursue things that were interesting to me to get to the point of now people that I admired were now admiring me for my own talents. Or right. Things. So, so what you're saying is like, you can't just get friends that you admire more. You have to become somebody who is admirable. And I think though, that's the thing is like, um, You will become that if by surrounding yourself, like you will likely become that. But what's first? I think what's first- Maybe the same time? Is that possible? Same time? Like, okay, at, at a base level, just be a person that people like to be around. Yes. Okay? Anyone can do that yes. at any level. Okay, so now you're in with someone that you admire. They may not admire you, but they like your presence. So, okay, now you're building your business, you're building whatever. Okay, all of a sudden now there's this mutual admiration. You've raised your standard. You've done it at the same time. So I think there's a way in on on that, right? Like, like it doesn't, it, it's not like an issue of chicken and egg here. Both can exist at the same time. Um, but, and, and I honestly, I've done this. Like, uh, I've seen people like, fuck, I, I like this person. Not just, Cause they're fun. They're a fun hang, but like they're doing some shit. They're cool. You know, they're, they're on their shit. Like, okay, I want to be an enjoyable presence to them. Maybe I don't expect anything in return, but I'll work towards being, you know, mutual with that, that person. And all while you were raising your standard. Definitely. I think it's possible. Well, you, you had an Instagram caption where you said, you know you're on the right path in life when the people you admire are becoming friends. And that happened for you and Mark Bell. That was the photo of you and Mark Bell. Yeah. I was like, damn, that's really so true. That 
if the people you admire are now becoming friends with you, that's a good sign that you're on the right path because the traits that you are admiring are now being present in you enough that they respect them in some yes, respect. That is, that is it right there. That is the key specifically for men because I am a man. I imagine it's similar for women. I don't want to speak on that, but you know, I, I think, I think that's it. I really do. If I was to tell a 22 year old that, holy shit, hopefully they'd listen. I don't know if I would when I was 22, maybe, maybe, maybe not. It is cool to hang out with older people for sure. Older people tend to have found the people they admire. They have tend to relax a little bit, put a little bit, take a little pressure off of themselves just a little bit. And they have more life experience. They have more money. They have more business experience. They have more, a lot of things. If you hang out with older people and you start to adapt those qualities, you're circumventing a lot of shit that you might have to go through at some point. I, I definitely think that's a beneficial thing. I was at this um, jujitsu gym uh, and these three brothers, they're the youngest kids in the room, but they're around people, you know, 10, 15 years older than them all the time. And they speak with, you know, this very high intellect and they're very respectful, very, very respectful of every single person in that room. And they were raised in, in this gym, basically. They were not raised by 15 year olds when they're 15. I also think there's something to the internet in general to give younger people access to older people they admire more. Imagine us being 15 years old. I'm 27, you're 32. It's like when I'm 10 years old or 12 years old, it's unlikely that I was going to find mentors or people who I could look at and be like, I admire that person outside of my local community. And let's say I'm not in a local community that I appreciate. It's not like I could just turn on YouTube to find those people. But now there's a 15 year old or 13 year old who loves weightlifting. They're like, you know what? I like Zach. I like how he carries himself. I like the values that he he puts forward. Let me hang out with him. And slowly but surely he will become more like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the internet can provide a lot of good things for sure. I think there's also, yeah. Yeah. Like I was going to say, you know, there's, there's not much filter on the internet just because you're prolific doesn't always make you good, which I think has always been the case, but now more people have access to not so good people. But if that person's never going to meet that person and all they get is the good of them, fine. I think it's okay if they exist, you know, like if someone's maybe not the most, like, you know, the term don't meet your heroes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's only because if you do meet your heroes, you might feel a little bit more shitty about the things that you believed before because they might not be able to be at that level that you put them on the pedestal that you put them on. But if you never meet your hero and it helps you drive and motivate you to be better and better and better, then that's great. I think it can't, yeah. I've met a bunch of my heroes from doing this podcast and every time I've been I've never once been let down. But that's, be- yeah. Well, so then that's that, maybe, yeah, I think you just have a balanced understanding. Like, um, I don't care. I don't care anything about you. If I don't like you, I don't care. <laughs> so it's like, if you have a hero, why are they your hero? Um, 
Like you're, you're a fanatic. Okay. Well, that's a little weird. I, like I said, I admire people that I don't know, but I admire my friends. So they're equal. And so when I meet this person, if I don't like that, like if they're not a good person, I don't fucking care. You know, they're not my hero. And I think having that balanced approach, it's like, yeah, you've met your quote unquote heroes, but to you, a hero is a lot different than to some 15 year old kid. You know, that's a totally different avenue that they're on. I really struggle in understanding fandom, Mm. you know, and fanatics. And you are propping some human up to some level that doesn't exist. And... I empathize with it being therapeutic to a lot of people. This is my thing, you know, my obsession of Taylor Swift or whatever it may be. But I swear to God, if Taylor Swift was sitting across from me, like I would hope that she's a good person because like that's all I care about, you know? And it, I could insert anyone, Paul McCartney, like that would be for me, like I'd be like, oh my God, Paul McCartney, like that would be the closest thing to that. But even still, I just want to know the guy. I just want to, you know, um, and so that's why I struggle with the fandom thing. It's like, it's almost the exact opposite. It's this obsession with someone else, especially parasocially, you know, using social media to try and know more and, and all this stuff. It's kind of, kind of strange. It's like, why don't you take that obsession you have for someone else? And, and build something and put it to yourself yeah in some respect of like the amount of that you love this person like love yourself that much i could not agree more i could not um but i what i love to do in situations like this is be a little bit more empathetic just always like yeah. even even if it's not what i believe like i could i honestly agree with you but it's like what sort of therapeutic um exercise is that for them uh music is always the best one it's always the best. Like, and I think metal is a, is a good one too. Um, there's a lot of like gatekeeping in metal. Um, it's like this, this club of elitists who might like this thing. Uh, and if the band changes or the sound isn't the way that they like it, they, they get upset. It's, it's like this attachment that is beyond actually liking the music. It's like a part of you, uh, and the way that they interact with it is just much more different than just like hearing it, enjoying it. It's like a character trait. And I think a lot of people who are these fans, it's a character trait. It's something, it's part of them that they can show off to others. I am the biggest Harry Styles fan. It's a big one that I see a lot. You know, someone saying that, like, look at then they'll just consistently post pictures of Harry style into their stories, even to their main feeds and continually do that. Why are you doing that? You're doing that to show other people how big of a fan you are. That's like your character trait, right? You might want to show people pictures of your family or your dog, something that you care about, but no, I'm showing you how big of a fan I am of somebody else. And I think that's okay in doses, but like you said, use that energy to be a fan of yourself. What do you think most people misunderstand about you? I think that um, I'm just a dumb jock, probably. Um, 
like I'm not a very deep thinker that and and I, a lot of that's due to my own issues because I have to play the game I give you a 60 second clip I'm gonna sound like a dumb jock you know uh, playing the role yeah that's definitely what people would misinterpret of me at this day and age for sure and does it frustrate you no not really because the people who know me know me I like I'm like I said I'm hanging out with these guys in music and I'm jamming with them a lot and uh I they now know that I play music and they like me for who I am but they all follow me on Instagram and some people who are adjacent to them like oh I heard you were in the studio man I didn't know you they're like oh uh you know so-and-so was going to play with you I was like what are they going to go work out with you you know I didn't know um and so that's where like people misinterpret, like they think who I, you know, it's, it's kind of this avenue that I'm doing over here. And that is, it is who I am. It's not just an act, um, but deep discussion and, and music and art is like the, that's the force of life for me. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think it's interesting to see somebody have so many sides to themselves like you do. And it's really cool to explore an age where people are so niche down into specific things that to be multifaceted and to have the courage to act on that because a lot of people would not act on their own courage or, or inclinations or their own thing that is you describe songwriting and music as like over your head almost like you are going to one yeah it's, it's like it'll it's like an anvil it's literally just floating on like a pulley above me as i walk down the streets so what do you, what advice do you have for people who do in this moment, there's somebody listening who has something above their head that they are being pulled to, but they are refusing to do because of what other people think or because they've been niched down into this thing. What advice would you have for that mm, person? Uh, it's usually around like have an escape route for what you're currently doing or have a path to entrance into the other thing. Um, Yeah, I want to. I want to give the best answer, um, because the reality is, this is like, man, um, you do have time. You do. I'm 32, and I feel like I got a lot of time to to make some good ass fucking music, and I'm gonna do it. Like I, I that I'm determined to do it. Um, but it's. It, it's in, I, I think that it's important to act on it, whatever it is, but in a way that you don't have so much pressure. Yeah. Okay. That's it. You don't want to, you don't want to come up with something so perfect that any amount of criticism would shut you down for months or, or years, be able to produce something that like, there's a minor victory in there that you, that you hit a very minor one. I have seen people like have some serious projects like films, um, feature films, albums, specials, all of these different things. They get right to the point of doing it and then they just don't fucking do it because they want everything to be perfect. Perfectionism is bullshit. It's total bullshit. And um, I think that that is the number one issue when people have that thing floating over their head and they don't want to go 
and cross over to the other thing. They want it to be perfect before they allow themselves to cross over. Fuck that. That's that's idiotic. Get a minor win. Yeah, so Someone who says like they're a perfectionist, it is kind of a red flag. It really is. Like I'm I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that you're a perfectionist. What was the small win that you got when you were thinking about all right, music? I'm gonna make just a couple people. That's it. That's your small win. A couple people that can say good job. Literally two, three, four. I don't know. You know? I had I don't know how many comments, like, okay, so my typical view at that point was like probably 40,000 views per video on YouTube. This video got like 10,000 views. There was like 100 comments, like 95% of them were positive. Wow. 95 people were willing to say to me that they liked it. Fuck yeah, dude. What did I expect? You know, what could be better than that? That's where I have to put my mind all the time. And when you start a new endeavor... Do not expect anything. Do not. The word expect is like, is poisonous, I, I believe. I think it's poison. It's the future. How could you expect anything? No one knows what the fucking future is. An asteroid could land right now. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I expect greatness. Shut up. That's bullshit. You know, it's poison. Yeah. Just live in the present moment to the best of your abilities. Yeah. And it will take care of itself as it is supposed to. You know, I played a song for Sky and Chris and they're like, that was awesome. That was fucking great. All I needed to do from, all I needed to do from that was get in the studio and record that exact thing. And I did just that. That's all I needed was two of my best friends who I admire telling me that was awesome. That's all you need. Something like that. Something small like that. You could absolutely accomplish and like, okay, so two people show it to another person. Do they like it or not? Show it to another, show it to another. It's like, next thing you know, you got 20 people who are like, yeah, he's pretty good at that thing. 20 people, man. That's, that's big. What would you have done if Sky and Chris were like, eh? Uh, just worked, worked a little bit harder. Like, hopefully they would offer some level of criticism. Yeah. Those are people that I trust. Right. You know, they would offer some level of criticism, but yeah, that's the tough thing. That is one. Okay. We talked about what Gary V got wrong, which was the documents don't create thing. Um, but here's what he got right was self-awareness. If you're not that guy, sometimes you're not that guy. You can't just force it. I think that's what scares people. That's the real thing that scares people. It's like, okay, well, how do I know if I'm not that guy or I am that guy? How many different fucking stories have we heard of people being like, I was literally told you should stop doing this thing. And then they become like the most successful in that thing. You know, how many people have continually done the same thing that would never be successful? It's like, wow, it's hard to assess these things. Without knowing every individual factor, I can't tell someone whether to stop or go. There's no way. That that comes down to following the intuition. Yeah. How have you gotten better at following your own intuition? Um, how have I gotten better? I think just over the years of continually making decisions, 
like continually trying new things, um, experimenting. Cause you, there are certain points where there may be like a binary and you have to make a decision and then you can go with your gut on that thing or your, your intuition. I've done that a lot. I've made a lot of decisions on creative things. And I think it's like a practiced thing going with your gut or getting your intuition, you know, more refined. That's definitely a, a more, it's like a, a muscle that you have to work. The more decisions you make, the better you will get at decisions. Yeah. And I think creative decisions too, you know, ones that are like, what color should we use or what should we do? The, for, for me, it's like title thumbnail. Um, What's the difference between a decision and a creative decision? Maybe, maybe that, maybe they're all, yeah. You know, someone said that, um, you are, when you're successful, you have to be creative. Like by proxy, you are a creative person because your success means you're, there's unique, you're unique. Unique is based off of creative. There has to be something different. So even if it's in like law. Mm-hmm or so these are law or engineering or mechanics doctor. or being a doctor. If you're successful, you did something that was creative. So you're just as artistic as an artistic person. Like if we did brain scans on some of the best doctors and some of the best lawyers, I'm sure they would, would have more of an artistic brain than, you know, left side or left sided brain. I don't know. I don't know exactly, but I'm sure that's, that would be the case. Yeah. Sure. That, that sounds right to me. Yeah. I like to end these podcasts with challenges mm-hmm. for, for the audience. Does a challenge come to mind from something we've talked about here or something we haven't covered yet? Yeah. I mean, I would challenge people to audit their friends, friend groups, but not in such a harsh fucking, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that sounds, I sound like such a, like an entrepreneur, bro, you know? <laughs> audit your friend groups if they don't make money fucking cancel them type of shit no 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 um no uh dude you can love absolutely like i have admiration for someone if i see them interact with their children with with love and go to their nine to five job i you don't need to do anything impressive to make to get my admiration i think people think okay well i want to become friends with uh a musician you know like i can literally be in the presence of greatness and that greatness is just being a good family man or or just having being able to display you know low stress confidence um a healthy physical body like that to me like i can give you all the admiration in the world and i think predominantly it's important and this would be my challenge is to surround yourself with those people like there has to be that feeling there you have to, and, and I guess that harsh word of audit, like, do you have that feeling towards the people that you spend the most time with, which are usually your friends, maybe even your family at certain times and, and determine whether that those are the best people for you to be around. And I would add to that, the people you spend your time with in the digital realm as well. Oh, for sure. Are the people that you are spending time with in the digital world, people you admire? Yeah, that's one that I would like to explore a little bit more too. What do you mean? Because, you know, the digital footprint is so refined. It's not like um, if someone was in the room with me for, and, and let's say I was an experienced interrogator, 
I could pick apart their lie after about 45 minutes. Their brain would not be able to hold on to whatever that is. But when you're behind your screen, you can lie, 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 lie. It's infinity, like to infinity, because I'm not there. I can't assess that, whatever that may be. So you could perceive that person to be someone that you admire when in reality, they're not that person. So that would be something that would I, I would have to explore. But I kind of agree though, you have to curate your digital life as well as your physical life to, to hopefully help you out in the future. And if you're spending time with us, we appreciate you yeah. because we are people worth ad- admiring <laughs> every second of every day. Yes. So thank you so much, Zach, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can we send people to connect with you further? Uh, Zach Tellender, Z-A-C-K-T-E-L-A-N-D-E-R on YouTube, coach underscore Z-T on uh, Instagram. And if you would like to do you know, some cheap programming, it's on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Zach Tellender. That's it. Sweet. Thank you so much, man.